Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Soccer Morning here on a Monday. Very excited to be here with you on WorldSoccerTalk.com. We have so much to talk about today. I don't know how we're going to jam it all in. This is uh, 10 pounds of soccer in a 5-pound sack kind of situation we got going on here today. Man, I'm all worked up. We, that was a an incredibly wild weekend. From a soccer perspective, from a general sports perspective, from a life perspective. So much to go over. We're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team winning on Friday. Seems like a million years ago. It wasn't. It was Friday. They beat the Netherlands 4-3. Danny Williams scores to tie it up. Bobby Wood scores the winner. Did not see that coming. You didn't. Don't lie. Don't say you did when you didn't. Also, so we're going to talk about that. We have Brian Sharetta lined up from American Soccer Now to kind of go over that. Maybe preview Germany a little bit. Because remember, the U.S. takes on the world champions here next. Uh, we also had the open of the U.S. Women, uh, the U.S. Women, the Women's World Cup with the U.S. Women start to play tonight. Had a full MLS weekend. Got Kevin Laramie from up in Montreal. It's going to talk to us about six-point week for the Montreal Impact. Suddenly, they look like a decent team in MLS. Remember when we all thought they were going to be terrible? They're Champions League finalists in a bad MLS team, and now they're not so much a bad MLS team. They beat Vancouver. They beat Columbus on the road. Suddenly, Montreal looking pretty decent. But I said so much to go over. We'll dive straight into the headlines before I run out of time, before we have to get to, to Brian Sharetta to talk U.S. men's national team. Let's go over that U.S. men's national team game. Uh, it's 4-3 win in the Netherlands. First time the United States has ever beat the Netherlands, as a matter of fact. Looked bad from a defensive standpoint. One of those games you just want to forget for a while. Klaus-Jan Hantelar had a field day with the U.S. back line. Did not quite get a get a hat trick. There was a uh, deflection in there. I think that's that third goal was given to Memphis Depay. Memphis Depay looked like he was unstoppable, abusing everybody, especially Giassi's artist in that game. But give Giassi's artist credit. Kept his head on straight. Scores a goal. Good cross from Fabian Johnson. The U.S. is in it after 35 minutes. Then Huntelaar again. The the pie with the deflection from the Huntelaar shot. And you're thinking, oh, good Lord. It's 3-1. How bad is this going to get? And then John Brooks goes on a run, and the, the, the Dutch defense shuts down. They get a very nice team goal with John Brooks finishing it off. Okay, sure. He started that move and finished it. Denny Williams then in the 88th minute, just when we were all like, okay, 3-2. Not great, but whatever. He gets a deflection off of a a set-piece opportunity. Takes a shot off a ball that comes out, isn't cleared well enough by the Dutch. And then Bobby Wood with the, with the capper. Michael Bradley, just imperious in midfield, setting that up. Playing the ball to Jordan Morris, which then gets put across for Bobby Wood. And again, the Dutch, as bad as the U.S. defense was, the Dutch defense was worse, and that's saying something. And I don't know how Goose Hitting has a job right now. We'll say that. And they've got to go in back into European qualifying and try to regain their footing. So that's how we started the weekend. And we're going to throw a bunch of stuff in here regardless of the timeline. Barcelona beating Juventus 3-1 to to win their fourth Champions League title in nine seasons. I think that's pretty good. I think that means Barcelona is a pretty good club. Probably the best club in Europe by a good margin at this point. Back-to-back Champions League winners for La Liga. Obviously, we know about their success in the Europa League. Things are just going well, generally speaking, for Spanish clubs. And Barcelona is the leader of those Spanish clubs. Your goal scorers, Rakitic, Suarez, and Neymar. So no no messy magic in the goal-scoring column, but come on. Guy's amazing. Juventus didn't have anything, really. 
especially in that first half, it looked like they were trying to solve a Rubik's Cube, a Rubik's Cube blindfolded. Just could not figure out Barcelona. And if it wasn't for a couple of Barcelona misses in general, uh, not failures, but certainly uh, Gigi Buffon was good for, for, for Juventus to keep them in it. And give Juve credit. They, they found a goal, put themselves level with an opportunity, but this Barcelona's quality was too much. More as FIFA turns, the FIFA apocalypse continues. FIFA's compliance officer says that Russia and Qatar could be stripped of their World Cups in 2018 and 2022 if evidence of bribery is found. Gentleman in question, Domenico Scala, who spoke briefly, I believe, at uh, Sepp Blatter's resignation and laid out the process for getting a, a new president in, says that if evidence should emerge that the awards to Qatar and Russia came only came about, sorry, only came about thanks to bot votes and the awards could be invalidated. The key words here are if and could. The evidence has not yet been brought forth. Okay, bring forth me some evidence, please. And I'll be honest with you, as desperate as I am for the Qatari World Cup bid to be invalidated, I would, uh, I, I might have more glee over Russia. Well, less, less glee, but, but almost as much glee. The Qatari indentured servitude slave labor situation is bad and that trumps everything, but Russia is not a good situation either. Uh, in more FIFA nonsense, Morocco has to feel a little upset as it has been revealed that they won the 2010 World Cup vote only to have only to have that tournament be given to South Africa, basically through FIFA malfeasance. Now, you shouldn't feel too bad for Morocco because their bid was dirty. They sent a million dollars to Jack Warner, who played everybody in the bidding for that tournament. Jack Warner was triple-crossing people. All three of the countries who were competing to host the World Cup, Morocco, Egypt, and South Africa, sent bribes to Jack Warner. Quite a man, that Jack Warner. CONCACAF Jack. The FIFA movie United Passions. $27 million spent by FIFA to make this movie. Debuted in the United States this weekend. It made $607. That's not, I'm not, that's not a mistake. It's $607. Later in the show, perhaps I'll go over some of these reviews that, uh, do not paint this movie in a, in a kind light. And a more uh, FIFA Apocalypse stuff. Seth Blatter directly linked to that $10 million payment from South Africa to Jack Warner. So that's good. That'll come out. We'll see what happens to Mr. Blatter because he should be gone now, not six months from now, not eight months from now. The United States women opened up their World Cup campaign against Australia tonight. Big match. Tough group for the United States. The best soccer show will be on the air on backhill.com slash live immediately following the U.S. Uh, against Australia. So make sure you look out for that. Ja uh, Jared Dubois and I will do a post-game show, take your phone calls, talk through the weekend uh, that was as well. The problem with the U.S. women right now, the distraction caused by Hope Solo's arrest last June, new development in that story, reports of her behavior uh, at the precinct being booked for domestic violence. No one in the U.S. camp is commenting on this story. It certainly was timed by ESPN to gain the most eyeballs with the U.S. women set to start tonight. Some cynicism over that, certainly. Uh, some cynicism there, certainly. Some discussion over whether or not this story should be dropped, quote-unquote. Uh, maybe we'll open up that journalistic can of worms a little bit later in the show. And the MLS weekend was very interesting. Talk about that later on as well. Sporting beating a shorthanded Seattle. The Canadian team's going 3-for-3 three three on the road. NYCFC with their first ever away win over Philadelphia. Tommy McNamara on fire. Mullet power, everybody. Portland upending New England. Two Fernando Adi goals out there in Portland. More than that, and we'll talk about it all. Let's take a break. Brian Shredda. Yanks. Oh, uh, sorry. Not Yanks abroad anymore. American Soccer Now. He'll join us in just a minute. We'll talk about the U.S. men. Don't go anywhere. Be right back.
This Friday, the U.S. women's team plays Sweden in a game that will be televised live on free-to-air U.S. television in prime time. It will arguably be the most competitive game from the first round of the tournament, and I'll be sharing my thoughts and opinions about the clash live on Rabble.tv. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Plus, I'll be talking you through the game as we watch two of the best teams in the world compete on the field. With Rabble.tv, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my analysis. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app today and add a comment to the broadcast message board. Then listen live via the app on Friday. So mark your calendars for Friday, June 12th at 7.45 Eastern. Celebrate the U.S. game against Sweden by cheering on the red, white, and blue with me live on Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go talking a little U.S. men's national team, perhaps some youth teams as well, with Mr. Brian Sharetta from American Soccer Now. You can also find his work in various other places, including uh, the quality magazine Howler, which uh, uh, you'll be on the lookout for something coming from Brian in the near future in Howler. Brian, how are you? Uh, very good, Jason. How are you doing? I'm good. It, uh, let's, let's, let's talk about Friday. Talk about what the heck happened at the Amsterdam Arena on Friday because I'm still a little confused. I, I know the defense wasn't very good, Brian. I know they've had a comeback in them. I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, it's a tough one to wrap your mind around. I mean, it was um, <laughs> it was a game where both teams probably feel like they can uh, they could have scored seven or eight goals each, um, and not even joking. I mean, it was it was back and forth. Um, it was an exciting game to watch. It was a fun game to watch. But, you know, for the U.S. team, it also exposed some problems, I think, that they have and, and that, they, that they need to work on moving ahead. And, and the biggest takeaway for me is, is central defense is still very much a problem. I mean, as fun as it is to win, you know, it is still just a friendly, and you use friendly to improve on some things but also learn about some mistake, you know, some of your weaknesses and maybe try to get to correct them before the games become more important. And I think that central defense really, to me, was the more uh, alarming uh, you know, question mark that emerged after that game. Right. Well, it, it, specifically to that point, why why is John Brooks? Uh, he scored in this game. I, I suppose he probably feels okay about his performance. But why is he such? I hate the. Why, why is his head not on straight when he's playing for the U.S. so often? Yeah, you know, he's a young player. He, he's, um, you know, it's. It, he just there's there's just these mental lapses that he has. You can see the quality in there. Everyone can see the quality. But remember, he's also had run-ins at, at the club level too. It hasn't always been smooth sailing on the club level. We've seen many times where his club coaches called him out, uh, you know, for various re- reasons, whether or not it be lack of focus or performance. And I wouldn't say he was he was bad, but there was just clearly a couple moments. I mean, before right before the opening goal. I mean, I know that the opening goal is more at the fault of uh, Alvarado getting beaten in the air. It was a great cross. Zardes didn't do well. But a minute before that, there was also a moment where Brooks was caught way upfield and he mistimed a header and it was just a very poor positioning. So, yeah, there are some questions there. And I think it's a big, you know, it's a big issue right now with, with Brooks. I mean, if he, if he doesn't straighten this out and if he continues to show occasional mental lapses, and particularly in the air, I mean, because against CONCACAF opponents at the Gold Cup, you're going to have to deal with uh, air, long balls and crosses a lot. I mean, that's going to be a big portion of, of what central defenders are going to have to do. And if he's not defending well uh, in that regard, it's going to be tough to roll the dice with him. And that's why he might have to go with Omar, who who is very good in the air. He doesn't make many mistakes uh, in that department. So, yeah, it's uh, it, Brooks will always be, continue to be in the mix as long as he's playing at such a high level. But whether or not he's going to get the consistent starts uh, at a place like the Gold Cup or World Cup qualifying, it's going to be up to him. He has to do better than he did on Friday. All right, let's let's move through this team a little bit and and what you saw. Uh, you know, again, it's a friendly. It was a very odd friendly. The Dutch have not played any sort of quality defensive soccer for a long time now. That was obviously evident. But what do you take away, and who do you, who do you think improved their case uh, ahead of the Gold Cup? 
The big, the big takeaway for me was Danny Williams. I mean, right now, uh, the defensive midfield position is in a state of flux for the team. You know, Jermaine Jones is injured. Kyle Beckerman is 33, 30, you know, early 30s. Jermaine Jones is at the same age, too. They're waiting for someone else to come in and take that role. And uh, for me, you know, it was either going to come down to Danny Williams, Morales, or even Perry Kitchen, who was not on this team, you know, as the likely contenders. And I think Danny, even though he, he didn't play the full game, he played about a half hour, I thought that Danny, you know, made a strong, strong case, in addition to the goal. Um, you know, that, that was just a well, it took a lot of the defection. He still hit it well, but it was his passing. He covered a lot of ground. He, he, you know, he runs very well. The question is whether or not he can stay healthy. I mean, that's been an issue for him now for a couple of years. He needs to get some poorly timed injuries that keep him out for a while. But if he's healthy, I think Danny Williams looks like a kind of guy who could probably inherit that, uh, Jermaine Jones role for the rest of the cycle. Um, not, it's definitely not completely a done deal yet, but I think he's in the driver's seat. And I think that that's a, that was a huge big takeaway. And then of course, you know, uh, Zardes settled in nicely after his, after his goal. Um, you know, he looked like he was consistently dangerous. And, uh, and Jordan Morris, obviously there's been, been the question of his, um, what is he going to do with his career? I mean, I, I'm still of the opinion that it's going to be tough for him to con- contribute consistently as long as he's in college. But I think everyone can see the talent and his, and his ability to, uh, run at defenses. I mean, I love the speed aspect of it. It's so it's so important to have a guy like that on the team. Uh, yeah, the, the the speed, I'll come back to the speed because clearly Morris and Yedlin made a, a significant difference to the U.S. attack uh, late in the game. But, you know, let's come back and talk about the, the bulk of that performance and certainly being down 3-1 um, through 70 minutes does indicate that there were some significant problems on the field. Uh, you look at the, the midfield and where Michael Bradley is, and obviously Mix Discrude gets the, the, the start. Uh, I'm sorry, Alfredo Morales was there as well. Did my, Discrude came on later in the game. Trying to, to get my, my memory working here. Um, Morales, what did you make of him? And certainly what did you make of Michael Bradley's performance? I thought Michael Bradley was the man of the match. Um, there's no doubt about it. I mean, he, it was a complete performance offensively, defensively. You know, he was a part of every, you know, decent scoring opportunity and, and, uh, without him, the U.S. team, I think it's run off the field. Uh, Morales, you know, it was an opportunity. It was, it was, it was so-so. I thought it was up and down. I, I thought he was, didn't make any mistakes. He didn't really take any, uh, you know, affirmative steps forward, uh, you know, and lay a claim on it. I thought that Discarude and, and Williams were upgrades over Beckerman and I'm a, big Kyle Beckerman proponent and a fan. I mean, I think he does a lot of dirty work and I think he does some makes great passes. Um, he always completes a really high percentage of them, but I think, you know, it's, it's time to start looking beyond guys like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought that Discord and Danny Williams were upgrades, um, from the starting lineup. And I think that's kind of the reason why the comeback was so successful. Uh, at the top of the formation to start things off was Aaron Johansson. Lots of expectations around Aaron Johansson because, well, first of all, because Josie Outdoor missed this trip, although apparently he's healthy, played for Toronto FC this weekend. Um, but a lot of expectations for Aaron Johansson, who finished out the year in, in, in the Netherlands uh, on a on a tear, um, obviously scoring buckets of goals for Azad. Looks like the kind of um, the kind of striker that the U.S. has maybe lacked recently. Um, somebody who can play close to the goal and sort of be Clint Dempsey, without having to to to, to um, carry uh, such a a load creatively or or have to play a little bit deeper, and yet I didn't I wasn't impressed with Aaron Johansson. You think it was a function of of his play service or the formation, something else? Well, I mean, I think it would have been better to have Aaron, a fully strength Aaron Johansson out there, um, you know, at the uh, you know with that lineup that finished the game a little bit. If he had a Jordan Morris and DeAndre Yedlin. Uh, helping him out and Danny Williams, uh, particularly allowing, freeing up space for Michael Bradley. I think we would have saw something different. I mean, he was making a lot of runs actually that his teammates just didn't spot. I thought, I mean, you know, I thought he was there. They're trying to get him in function, but you know, he started a game at, at a time when, you know, the midfield wasn't at, the U.S. midfield wasn't as, as its, at its strongest. It was at its strongest at the end of the game. So there's some guys benefited from that. Um, you know, I, I it was, of course he wants to be more involved than that. He needs to be more involved in that, but um, I still think he's a, a very good and useful player for this team, uh, without a doubt. Sure, uh, definitely looked frustrated yesterday, or sorry, Friday. Again, my my brain's too much. Too many things happening, Brian. <laughs> uh, 
Um, you know, okay, so let's come to Jordan Morris, who did discuss briefly as to whether or not he'll be able to contribute on a on a full level as long as he's a college player. Uh, certainly DeAndre Yedlin came in and, and changed that game. What is it about those players? And, and, you know, I think you wrote specifically about the speed that they bring that the U.S. has lacked recently. I mean, it's not a new thing, not just recently. Uh, it's been a slow U.S. team um, really since – I mean, I remember watching the two, I was actually covering the, uh, 2011 gold cup a while ago before Clemson was even hired. And I was like, this is a slow team. There's no barn burners out there. There's no, and you know, yeah, they've had, they've had a couple guys they try to bring in for speed, like Joe Jow and, and, um, Josh Gatt, but those guys were injured almost as soon as they arrived. And DeAndre Edlin, they brought in, but you know, and he's still there, but even though he's at the World Cup, he was still just a young guy getting used to the professional game. They've never really had, it's been a long time since they've had a consistent, you know, a, a bunch of guys out there who, who they put out the left field at one time who can really burn a defense and uh, get behind the back line and really stretch the game out, and which opens the game up for everybody. You know, and I think that, um, you know, Jordan Morris and DeAndre Edlin, you know, there's still questions about their club career and how many minutes they're going to see and whether or not they'll be playing enough club soccer uh, to justify a spot on the national team, at least to be able to play consistently well for it. But I think everyone sees the value of such a player and why maybe Klinsman is, is, you know, gives these guys some leeway, uh, to getting onto the national team when their club careers might otherwise not justify it because there is talent there, there but there, it really is a speed game. I mean, you can see what it does in the second half. I mean, how much better Bradley played when those guys are out there on the field because, you know, it's, it, it's, it really is such an asset. I mean, they haven't had it for a while. So yeah, with Jordan Morris, I'm a kind of opinion. It's going to be tough for him to play consistently that well. He can do well every here and there because he has the talent, but can he do it consistently? It's going to be tough. I mean, I, I do think my gut tells me he will sign with Seattle uh, after the upcoming college season and be ready for next season, but that's all just guessing at this point. But I think everyone, U.S. fans, should probably be hoping it happens sooner than later. I mean, Seattle would be a great fit. He'd get a lot of time because Dempsey would be 33, Martins would be 31 at the start of next season. So he, you know, they're at a position where they can't play those guys all the time. Regularly, he would be getting some starts here and there, and he would be doing well, or maybe hopefully doing well. And he would be, but he would be seeing a lot of minutes. And um, you know, obviously playing behind some strikers like that, he'd learn a lot too. So it's, um, you know, it, it's something. It, Seattle would just be a very, very good fit right now. So mm -hmm. hopefully, it happens for the good of the team. It happens sooner than later. And DeAndre. It comes down to preseason, whether or not, uh, you know, hopefully if he's not going to get that many minutes, he'll go on loan. But, um, uh, um, you know, he needs to see minutes as well. Another another player, another substitute obviously made a different score the winning goal, Bobby Wood. Um, I was impressed with what he what he brought to the field when he, when he got in the game, uh, even before the goal, uh, Brian. And the question now is whether he's going to be on the right type of developmental track to be a major contributor for this team as well. Well, you know, he's been in the mix for some for quite some time right now under Clinton at a time when it was really, really puzzling. So Clinton obviously likes Bobby. He sees something in him, even though at a time when um when uh uh Bobby's uh club career was you know, was, was non existent. I mean he was fall out he wasn't even training with the first team anymore. But um uh you know, obviously Clinton really likes him, but the great question there is whether or not you know, Juan Agadello sees some time and then uh, if Juan Agadello shows well for the national team, and I hope that he gets some minutes against Germany because I'd like to see comp you know, at least some competition there. I'd like to see this team you know, really never settled. I want to see guys always pushing with each other and uh, to, to be that hot hand, the guy, the guy who's playing well. I think maybe Bobby needs that. And, uh, but maybe uh, you know, I would certainly would not write Juan Agadello out of the equation there. And then the question sure. is, is if, I, if Juan goes out there and has a good showing against Germany, um, then what? You know, and then then it's, uh, the decision times becomes becomes a a lot harder because you know, Agudelo has scored a heck of a goal against um, uh, Mexico in April. Mm. So there's there, 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 it's good because right now they're starting to see some real options now for Clemson, and these are options that 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 weren't there. Um, you know, at the World Cup, it team mm. struggled after uh, when Josie Altador went down after 20 minutes. You know, and Aaron Johansson was not healthy for that tournament. Then another question is, what happens when Terrence Boyd gets back and 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 if he's healthy? 
then obviously then then it then becomes a, a really good problem to have. You yeah. a bunch of guys out there pushing each other, and the competition is only going to make everybody better. Yeah, and you met, Rubio Rubin hasn't even come up in this discussion. He's going to be near that level. I mean, certainly a, a youth player right now has, has seen some senior time. Uh, but we'll start to get into the mix over the next year, year and a half at least. Um, l- let's come to a, a big question before we move on to Germany, Brian. And that's, does this, is this a landmark victory for Clint? I mean, certainly he can hang his hat on it on some level. And he has done, for all the criticism I've levied at him, I certainly cannot, uh, I, I, I can't deny the fact that he has turned this team into one that can compete on European soil in a way they never did before. So is this, but is this some sort of, turning point for him does this indicate something about the program is there something to hang his hat on more than just hey we beat the dutch in amsterdam well yeah i mean there is something there in the fact that like so many new players are starting to emerge right now if you look at some of the guys who are a big part of the comebacks they were all either you know some of them three of the four goals that were scored it was you know was zardes wood and williams those were their first national team goals and then some of the guys who provided assists with Jordan Morris and DeAndre Edlin were Olympic eligible. So, you know, they're young guys. So you're starting to see maybe a new core emerge, a guy, a bunch of players that Clinton can trust as the games get important. You know, and that's very, very valuable. I think that, you know, he's not, he's not going to be hanging his hat so much on the players that were part of the 2014 World Cup. We're starting to see a, a transition, which is always healthy. The result in and of itself, you know, I don't really get much, take much from that just because it's a friendly. I mean, I remember watching, I was in attendance when the U.S. beat Italy, uh, in 2012 in February. And, um, you know, that, that was nice. It, it was good. But I mean, I don't think anyone looks back and, and, and takes anything from that game other than what it was. It was a friendly win that was, that was, it was, it was, it was good to beat a, a world power. But it, it's just that you don't really look, you tend not to look back on these things too much. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's a question of how the team plays and what emerges. So I like the new faces that were emerging. It was, uh, it, it was, um, or some guys we've seen for a while, but they're starting to take increased roles. Yeah. I think that that's very healthy. I guess, I guess you can't really blame Clinton for the timing of some of these players coming into their own. And, and, and I don't know, you, you want to put on him how quickly they were integrated, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, some of them are, in need of, of of significant playing time, regular playing time with their clubs club teams, and that's some that's something he can control necessarily. But at the same time, I and mean, we are we're less than a month away from the Continental Tournament, uh, the Gold Cup. I mean, whether or not anything happens next summer, at least you'll have hopefully the Olympics going on. I, I just it's 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 almost like he should have had some of this done before. But again, I, maybe we can't criticize him for the timing. Not, uh, it's not completely up to him. Let's move on to Germany on Wednesday, Brian. This is the world champions. This is the best team um, that that's out there right now. They're going to play them in Germany with this roster. And while we didn't expect a win over the Dutch coming, the Germans are not going to ship goals like the Dutch. What do you expect? And what do you, at least in terms of the player personnel situation, what would you like to see? I mean, kind of simple. I want, I want to see, uh, more of how the U.S. team ended the, uh, game against, uh, Holland. I want to see that carried over into the start of Germany. I mean, I don't want, I mean, they have to kind of do a better job of controlling the midfield. Uh, I want to see Danny Williams, you know, guys rewarded with good performances. Um, you know, uh, Danny and, uh, DeAndre maybe, uh, out there. Perhaps, um, uh, perhaps Jordan Morris. Uh, you know, I don't know if he'll get the start or not, but I want to see those kind of a continuation of the momentum, see to see something building. And then I also, uh, want to see, you know, I want to see another get a look at Agadello. Again, I think it's going to be very important for, you know, to build up a, a large arsenal of forwards because as opposed to just everything relying on Josie, there has to be like not just plan A and then maybe plan B, but there has to be, you know, C, D, E, F, and G and, and really have so many options up front because you know, sometimes the team struggles to score and you want to be able to ride a hot hand. So, yeah, I want to be able to see those things continue and, and Fabian Johnson move out of the, you know, continue to carry that Champions League form into the national team. I thought he, I think he continues to do a nice job. And then most importantly, another big factor is that they got to shore up the fullback positions right now because, <laughs> you know, Chandler, Chandler and Shea are just, you know, conceding huge amounts of space. And, you know, Chandler's just such an enigma. I mean, he, he has like almost 120 Bundesliga appearances to his name at, at right back. 
And the question is, and to this day with the national team, you know, he just doesn't bring that. I mean, it's not a question of, um, you know, just a one or two bad performances. It's becoming like a regular trend. And when is, how are they going to correct Timothy Chandler? That is such a process. Or if he is correctable at the international level. I mean, defensively, he's, he's out of position a lot. And his, you know, his best performance ever for the national team was still his first one, the one under Bob Bradley in, in 2011. I mean, it's, he hasn't ever replicated that one outing he had. And it, it, it certainly is frustrating because, I mean, everyone was expecting him to be the uh, the heir apparent to Steve Cherundolo. And, you know, defensively, there's just too many miscues. And mm-hmm. Breck Shea, you know, obviously, he's still in the process of being converted there. And uh, and whether or not that's going to be successful is one thing. But Timothy Chandler is a right back. I mean, so it's it's kind of – it must be particularly frustrating for Klinsman. You know, it almost seems like because of what happened on Friday, and yes, they won the game, but because of the defensive problems, the people that that maybe gain the most from that from that game are are people like Gonzalez and Beasler and Greg Garza. Yeah, absolutely, the people who were not there. And look, I think you know, I've have I don't think Omar Gonzalez is the complete center back. I mean, I think his distribution and passing sometimes isn't as good as Brooks. But you know, Omar is not going to get beaten in the air. Uh, neither is a guy like Jeff Cameron. I can't see like those guys making too many mistakes, at least handling crosses and long balls. And what do you think you're going to be dealing with at the Gold Cup uh, and uh, you know against Concacaf opponents or World Cup qualifying? It's it's it's, a, it's a, at times it's a very much an aerial game. And if you can feel comfortable with Alvarado and Brooks out there in that kind of an environment, I mean that's that's kind of scary. I think for uh, a national team coaching staff or its fans, uh, you know. So yeah, of course. Um, you know, Beasler has been there, done that. You know, you know what he can do on a big stage. Um, but, you know, for guys, uh, for, for the weaknesses that Alvarado and, and Brooks have kind of shown in recent games, you know, that it's kind of scary thinking that those weaknesses are, are, are things that are going to be major problems at the Gold Cup. Mm. Uh, lot, still lots to figure out. I mean, that's the thing. And the United States goes into this Gold Cup with uh, a lot of questions. Are they... Are they better than? But they're easy questions to fix. I mean, well, you know, I mean, you know what you're going to get if you throw, if you say, okay, these guys aren't defending in the air. Let's just go with, um, let's just go with Omar. Omar is not going to take a transition time to fit in the period uh, to fit into the team. I mean, it's just, it's just putting his name into, uh, into the lineup. It's, it's a pretty easy thing. And uh, yeah. same thing with Beasler. You already know that those guys can walk into those teams at any minute. So yeah, there are some question marks, but they're also, uh, you know, you also have some errors in your quiver that are easy to switch to. Well, what do you okay? Let's talk about formations here briefly before before I run out of time. Brian is Klinsman is Klinsman. Does he have any idea what his best his best formation is? Is he changing things on? Do you think he's changing things on on personnel? Why isn't he calling in a team that fits better to whatever he wants to play? It seems to be all over the place. We had the the the, the diamond midfield and that seems to be out. Yeah, I mean that's a very good question, and I, I, I wish I had the answer. I don't know if necessarily he knows the answer. Look, I think that. Some of these lineups are are determined by the personnel that he's able to get involved with each particular camp. I mean, depends on what players are available and what players are not. And I think that you know, if it's a four three three, it has to be a four three three. Although, you know, the, the team historically, you USU teams all the way up to the full national team have never really done too well under a four three three. It's always been kind of a dream of ours to play in that formation. Although it's just never really quite panned out. Um, you know, or everything goes to the four-two-three-one, which is you know somewhat similar to the World Cup. I don't know. I mean, I I would personally like to see a four-four-two. Just you know, have Josie up there working with a partner and have it kind of keep it kind of consistent. Sure. But uh, again, you know, it, it's going to come down to who's available, and uh, no one really knows what the the Gold Cup team will be right now at the moment. They have a pretty good idea, but uh, you know, it comes down to what changes are made and. You know, I think ideally, you know, I still wouldn't discount the diamond. Uh, you know, if he's, if they're able yeah. to come up with the, the right players for that formation, I think that, you know, Clemson might like that attractive, free-flowing kind of, uh, you know, uh, method of soccer that diamond formation brings when it's played at its best. And sometimes the U.S. has looked good on it. Um, not always, but when it does work well, it, it, it really is uh, impressive. Yeah, it certainly it gets Michael Bradley higher up the field, which I guess is what Klinsman wants. Although the problem with Bradley, and, and let me come back to him because you said he was the man of the match. I agree. I uh, gave him my, my highest rating when I had to do those for ESPNFC, which I, I, I despise doing them, by the way. Right? I know you do them all the time. I can't, I can't really handle it too well. Um, the issue for he, he, his best position in the attacking end 
means that he's not at his best on the defensive end. And I I think Klinsman has struggled. That's been the key to all of this, has struggled to figure out where to put Michael Bradley and what areas he's going to cover. Because you you just can't have him doing what he did in the World Cup, Ryan, where he's literally so far up and down the field that he's running himself out of games. No, yeah, people made a big deal about the fact that he ran like eight miles a game and he was leading the, you know, he had more, ran more miles than anyone in the group stages at the World Cup. I mean, that suggests a problem with the shape. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good attribute to be able to run that much, but it's also suggests that there's a flaw, you know, something's overcompensating for itself. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Bradley, I think needs to be on the ball. He still sees great passing. And I think that, you know, for, for, when he's in a playmaking role or, um, it's very, very, you know, I think he can do a very good job on that. I know not everyone agrees with that. But also I think that the World Cup, a big thing was Jermaine Jones was, you know, as well as he played, Jermaine Jones was all over the place too. And I think that there was also some that had a tough time playing with Jermaine Jones, not knowing where he was going to be and trying to compensate for Jones when he made these runs (laughs) up the field. But if you have like a solid guy like Danny Williams, you know, a, a guy who's set in that role, who can also cover a lot of ground in back of him, more so maybe than Kyle Beckerman, then I think you know, maybe it's not as taxing on Michael Bradley. It yeah. reduces his responsibilities and allows him to concentrate on one thing. And I think that that, that only pays dividends for the U.S. Team. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Like, I mean, they're going to have a discussion later on today, not on this show, but on a different show about uh, maybe the lack of number nines in the U.S. system all of a sudden. So we'll talk about uh, that because that I think that that impacts the United States directly, in, especially if they're going to tr- if Clinton's going to put set them out in a four three three. Aaron Johansson is not the guy you want up there. Uh, as a center forward trying to, to hold the ball up. And, and he wanted to make runs that, uh, you know, they just weren't set up to exploit. Anyway, uh, we're running out of time here, Brian. Um, if you look for, we're, again, we're looking forward to Wednesday. Uh, what's a, what's a, a, obviously a perfect result is a win against Germany. But what's a good result? What's a result we can look at and say, you know, that's continued progress. Let's feel good about the Gold Cup. I think it's just, it's just a strict look at how many opportunities they're able to create against a team like Germany, how much possession they're going to be able to hold, and how much, you know, how, how few opportunities are they going to concede to the Germans. Maybe hopefully Guzan doesn't have to do what Howard did at the World Cup and make a, like a ton of saves. I think it's not, that's going to be more important than the scoreline is, is number of opportunities, possession, and all those other, like, little statistics that us writers love so much. Yeah. But I think that that's kind of what you're going to want to see against this. I mean, you know, anything can happen with a goal here or there or the result here and there. But I think it's being able to hold on to the ball a little bit and do a little bit what you want to do, create some opportunities. And also, you know, Guzan will have to make some saves, but maybe not, maybe not as many, you know, and, and just not get old, not just be on, on their feet the entire time, yeah. but doing a little bit of what they, of, of uh, implementing a little bit of a game plan. That's really so much, so much more important than, than, uh, I mean, look, the Germans are almost likely to win. I mean, they're the heavy favorites, but it's a question of some of the other things, what the U.S. team can do. Um, that's what I'm going to be looking forward to in this game and, and keeping an eye on it the most. Brian Sharetta from American Soccer now. Follow him on Twitter. He's an excellent follow. And uh, Brian, look forward to uh, uh, to that Howler piece you teased, and uh, and we'll let uh, we'll definitely bring you back around as we get closer to the Gold Cup. Thanks very much. Jason. We didn't, we didn't, I we didn't appreciate even, it. We didn't even talk you twenties. We didn't talk you twenty threes. That's on me. I apologize. That's why we're going to have Brian back later on, some point in the future. Soccer morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. When we come back, Kevin Laramie will join us to talk MLS. This Friday, the U.S. women's team plays Sweden in a game that will be televised live on free-to-air U.S. television in prime time. It will arguably be the most competitive game from the first round of the tournament, and I'll be sharing my thoughts and opinions about the clash live on Rabble.tv. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Plus, I'll be talking you through the game as we watch two of the best teams in the world compete on the field. With Rabble.tv, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my analysis. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app today and add a comment to the broadcast message board. Then listen live via the app on Friday. So mark your calendars for Friday, June 12th at 7.45 Eastern. Celebrate the U.S. game against Sweden by cheering on the red, white, and blue with me live on Rabble.tv.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning. We are turning now to Major League Soccer and perhaps some uh, some Women's World Cup as well and the Canadian Women's National Team with Kevin Laramie. You can follow him on Twitter at Kev, K-E-V, Laramie. Hey, man, how are you? I am great, Jason. It's uh, what a week in, actually for Montreal soccer team, for the impact, and for Canada. What a beginning of the tournament. It's almost unreal to me. It's surreal, actually. <laughs> it's, it's a good time to be a soccer fan. Let's start with your MLS team, uh, the Montreal Impact, who have won four out of five and now have um, two wins this week, six points, climbing slowly, consistently up the table. And it's the it's the quality of these wins, Kevin. It's beating Vancouver, and then beating Columbus on the road. And I know Columbus is spiraling a little bit, but that's still a big win for Montreal. No, it is. You know what's wonderful? What I wonder is when I'm looking at the loss against Chicago, That's it's the outlier of those four or five games. If you're looking at the four victories against teams that are good team in good position, and then you go on the road and lose to Chicago. Anyways, that's two weeks ago. <laughs> this week, two great victories. Talk about the Vancouver game. I was at Saputo last Wednesday, and... The way the Montreal Impact played and got up in that second half and were able to come back after conceding that, equal, that equalizer, it, it just showed a lot of character. And on the road, you saw the continuation of that character building slowly with Columbus game. A, a player like Maxime Tissot is blooming this year. It seems like he's seeing a, a spot getting open and he's seizing it. He's mm-hmm. taking advantage of it. Him on the left midfield, the way he moves forward and he's able to uh, look up and be at the right position at the right time. Yes, it was a poacher goal, but the way he gets in the right position for an academy product for the impact, it surprises me. But that victory against Columbus, I think it's uh, one of the things they needed, the result they needed in Major League Soccer to uh, show them that they can have a good result in Major League Soccer and not just on a CONCACAF level. Yeah, that that was the question um, for a long time, is whether or not the Montreal Impact would be able to translate anything that they did in the Champions League and making that final into MLS success. And, and here they are, I mean, with that distraction gone, maybe recovered a little bit from that tournament, having, uh, I'm not sure, rested is the right word, but we know that they have uh, several games in hand on everybody else. And while they've they, they played as many games as the rest of the league just based on what they had to do in the CONCACAF Champions League, it's still, they can look ahead and they can sort of imagine the possibilities, Kevin, instead of a team like, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know, a team deeper into their season, um, in, like, like Chicago, for example, they, they have the opportunity to turn these games that they have in hand on everybody else into victories. And they're playing well enough that you could see. And, and look, their next three, New York City FC, who, yeah, won this weekend, but is still an expansion team that's ripe for the picking. Orlando City, another expansion team, dangerous, but you never know. Toronto, okay, that's a tough out. And then Philadelphia, and then NYCFC again. So the next, over the next five, they have the opportunity to really build on this momentum. Exactly. And if you're looking at the points per game, because, because of the fact that the impact have a lot of games in hand, it's going to be hard to, uh, to quantify the result and to see them in the table at the rightful spot. So you need to look at the points per game average for the next couple of months to uh, measure them against the opponents. And right now, the points per game of the impact is 1.4, which put them in fourth position in the Eastern Conference, right behind uh, TFC and a couple other teams. So it would it's really surprising. They're not just eighth right now. They're actually in fourth position when you look at that way. And it's going to be hard to... Uh, predict what's going to happen in the East because of those games in hand. Not just Montreal, Toronto as well has a couple of games in hand. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, table in the East. But like you were talking about, NYCFC and Orlando, two expansion team. And that's one of the reasons why my, I never really pushed the panic button for the impact this year because in the East, you have two expansion teams. And we're not going to lie, there's a lot of bad teams in East as well. If you're looking at, no offense, but Chicago and Philadelphia. And I would include Montreal at the beginning of the season there. So there's a lot of points, a lot of three points to be taken when you go to Orlando and New York. So if that gap wasn't big enough, I was underneath 10 points. Mm-hmm. I was confident that the back were able to climb that gap and we're seeing this started all right they still need to continue getting results and win especially at home and on the road if you can continue to get a couple more it's a bonus but they need to continue to play well at home yeah the, the, so do you see that the impact do you see that a team using the same sort of formula that they used 
in CONCACAF to have some success in MLS, and certainly against a team like Columbus, it seemed, I mean, you, you Maxime Tussaud with the opener, but that second goal from Romero, that, that's classic Montreal in the Champions League sort of play. Yep, exactly, on the counter. Uh, they were able to use the confidence they built on the counter-attack to get good results, but with that said, they were able to control the ball a lot better, especially in the last two games, especially in the last third. If you talk about the Chicago game, the big statistic that really was mind-blowing to me was in the last third of the pitch, Montreal, the passing accuracy they had was underneath 50% mm. against Chicago, which is mind-blowing to me. I mean, every time you pass a ball, once out of two, you're missing it. Mm. In the last third, which is really important, that's where you able to get looks and chances on goal. Against Vancouver, they changed that stat to 80%, able to control the possession for 60%, and then 80% of their pass were uh, uh, accurate in the last third, which is a big difference, and that could explain the chances they had against Vancouver and Columbus. So it's a great progression that I see there. So they're transitioning their play from counter to uh, being more comfortable on the ball, but there's still a little ways to go. Uh, looking at uh, looking at the future of the Montreal Impact, Jose on Twitter has uh, got a specific question for you, Kevin. He wants to know if you've heard anything about potential DP signings this summer, and he's mentioning uh, mentioning Atiba Hutchinson, who's uh, obviously uh, you know a, a player that that would work in in a Canadian context at this point. Yeah, Atiba Hutchinson just resigned with his uh, Turkish club, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, sure, you can always uh, go with the Canadian route with the impact. Right now, there's a big uh, oopla because there's a lot of Argentinian, there's an Argentinian file with the impact. If you're looking at Piatti, Romero, Cabrera, and, and it seems this... Uh, this place, Argentina, has given us a lot of great goal scorer in the last couple of uh, of months, Niacho Piatti and Romero. And maybe the impact are uh, keen to look in that way. So I wouldn't be surprised if another South American, either DP or uh, that special discovery, call it whatever you wanted, if they... Uh, but I haven't heard anything about a new DP right now. It's uh, really low profile. And I think it's that's the best way to do it. Uh, we all heard the rumors last year and yeah. the Giardino, the Luca Toni, all those crazy rumors last couple of years. But in MLS, it seems like when you don't hear anything about it, there's a better chance of it happening. This is true. Uh, Toronto FC went through that a couple of different times, uh, <laughs> uh, specifically. Um, you know, this this is so the team that not that long ago was really having problems in the management of the of the club. Kevin, I mean, certainly Joey Saputo's not going anywhere. Uh, but we had some some serious issues at the top. The fans were none too happy. There was a um, at least one or two banners calling for people to be ousted. There's a shakeup. Frank uh, Klopas is obviously uh, the latest in a, in a list of managers who have come and gone in, in Montreal. Um, with Mo Jesse Marsh uh, having started and, and and bringing in a foreign manager, How, has everything turned around? Does everybody feel good? I mean, winning heals all wounds. But I imagine that it's not as though. Everything has changed. Now, it's funny that you say that, Jason. Just before the Vancouver game, there was rumors between the journalists. And even in the articles that are writing, there is a rumors that Klopas could have a, could have his job on the line if result didn't go his way soon. And the game against Vancouver was a relief, uh, probably for Frank Klopas, but I think it was a relief for the management as well. I think now they're seeing some progression, but in the result. It's good when you see progression with the team play, but you need to see it on the result category because at the end of the day, that's what we're all here for, for the results of the games. So it, that was important. And the fact that Klobos got a couple of wins and is able to climb that table and get result, I think the best way to explain it, Jason, is Frank is able to have an impact on games lately. Yes, the change he does are, wasn't the best. If we're looking at the Vancouver game, when he brought in Rio Coker for the striker, there was a goal right after. So you could say, oh, it's his fault the way he changed it. But then uh, the other player he subbed in, Anthony Jackson and Mel, made a decisive pass on Romero and Piatti's goal. So it, he had an impact there too. So you can always look at it both sides of the coin. But right now, Klopa seems like he's opening his mind for the way his team could play. He's making some player rotation, which was giving him some flag because we all know Patrice is a hero here, and when he's not playing, people are not happy about it. He, he's the first not to be happy about it, but they're trying to put that distraction aside. Yes, they, they both agreed the relationship. It wasn't 
the greatest, but they're working together. And hopefully with the results, it's always easier to wake up and go to training and go to the dressing room and to talk to your teammates when you just had a couple wins. Absolutely. Um, another question here from Jose. Uh, the future of Jack McInerney, uh, who's, who's a very frustrating player, can be, uh, can be a good goal scorer and then can go missing for, for quite some time. Do you ultimately think that Montreal holds on to McInerney or is he going to be trade bait at some point? I would hold on to him, and I'll explain to you why, Jason. Jack Mack is a type of player that you need to involve him in the way you play. You need to have him feel special the way, so he's there to finish it. If you don't involve him in the way your movement and your block moves forward, if you don't try to get him the right service, he's not the type of forward who's going to create everything by himself. He's a poacher, he's a finisher, and he needs a service. We've seen in the last couple of games when he does get service, or when he does get an opportunity, he finishes. But he is more of a quantity than quality type of poacher opportunity. So if he needs four or five chances, you need to set up your team and your midfielder and play in a way where you will be able to create six, seven, eight, ten chances if you need to with that type of striker. And if you do that, he's going to score one or two every game. And we've seen that in the last couple of weeks. The just team needs to be set up for him and not for another type of striker. If you're looking at Cameron Porter or Dama Joe earlier this season, they're more similar together than a Jack Mack. They're more target forwards, more players that are able to receive the ball from long balls that are taller, which is not the case for Jack Mack. Jack Mack needs to be involved. He needs to be implicated of how the team plays. When this is the case, he scores and he's prolific. And he's a scorer that scores goals in bunches. So if his confidence is high, you need to write it. You need to understand that it might not stay for 10 weeks. But if you remember, June 2013, he was tied with Marco Devaio for the amount of goals in this league. So I think he is able to uh, be a great goal scorer. You just need to set up your team accordingly. All right, uh, Kevin, uh, let's turn to uh, the Montreal Impact playing very well. We'll see if they can continue it. Let's turn to the big tournament happening up in your country, the Women's World Cup kicking off on Saturday night with uh, Canada, ho- uh, the host country, up uh, against China and Edmonton. It comes down to a controversial penalty that Christine Sinclair puts away. Not the best start for Canada, but three points is is really all you care about. Yeah, not the best start for Canada at all. Uh, China impressed me because they're they're technical. They they weren't afraid. They weren't intimidated because of the crowd. The crowd first of all impressed me. I was really impressed with the crowd in Edmonton, which even the couple of games that happened uh, Sunday as well. There was a lot of uh, a lot of good crowds, so it was good for Canada. But the Canada game, like you said, not the best start. But unfortunately. I was expecting it. If you look and listen to the two soldiers podcast, me and Dwayne uh, really talked about how Canada has been overhyped. And when the people have been talking about Canada it was never how they're set up, how the, what their potential on the pitches was always they're confident. They have the crowd behind them and they have, con- and they're going to be able to overcome. No, you need to we talk about a world cup and a team in a world cup. You need to talk about on the pitch. Do they have the players necessary? Do they have the, uh, Everything needed to compete. And are they at the same level as the other team, as a Germany, as a France, or as a Brazil? So pragmatically, when I talk about it, they're ranked eighth. They need to represent their rankings. And that's where I think they'll be at the end. But right now, three points against China. Hope is still there for now. And the tournament kickoff in general is sort of the way it's been um, the, the way that the, the Canadian soccer fans have welcomed, or the people in general, you need more than just soccer fans to support this tournament. You said the crowds impressed you in Edmonton in general so far, the two games yesterday as well. I imagine everything is, is going fairly well. Absolutely. Uh, almost a sellout in Edmonton, which is crazy because Edmonton, yes, it has an NASL team, but it's not known as the biggest soccer hotbed in Canada. It's going to be interesting in, in places like Moncton, uh, where Moncton is the maybe the city, the host city with the less amount of buzz surrounding it, with the less amount of ticket sales. Uh, that's where the French home team is based. Uh, it's going to be interesting. In Montreal, I heard this week that the tickets are actually going well, and they're hopeful for a 30, 35,000 crowd for the first games at the Big O, which would be really uh, amazing considering that it's not a, a home team yet. Canada completed third game of the group stage in Montreal. But until then, it's going to be... a uh, uh, other countries, but uh, great games coming up so far, and I have to say that Germany team, they look good. They, well, okay, they did beat up on a terrible team in, in yeah, no, that's true yeah. in Ivory Coast, but yes, they do look they do look pretty good right now. Germany certainly one of the favorites, along with the French. The United States gets started uh, started tonight 
Uh, I believe that game is in Winnipeg against yes. Australia. Kevin Laramie joining us. Kev Laramie on Twitter. It's two E's at the end there. One of them has an accent. You don't need to worry about that because Twitter doesn't do it that way. And uh, you need to listen to the Two Solitudes uh, podcast and Off the Woodworks as well. Uh, Kevin, thank you for your time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jason. Talk to you soon. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines, talk about what you want to talk about. The men's men's team winning on uh, Friday, the women's team starting tonight, the MLS, whatever is on your mind, we'll hit it all. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning here on World Soccer Talk just as the clock ticks over to 10 o'clock Eastern on, well, I was going to say 10 o'clock Eastern on the East Coast, but that's completely redundant. 10 o'clock Eastern. Phone lines are open. 646-832-3909. Lots to talk about. The U.S. winning on Friday. The U.S. women starting tonight. And if you want to talk Hope Solo, we can do that. I definitely have some thoughts on the way that the story has come out and uh, who cares, who doesn't care, et cetera, et cetera. We have a Champions League final, Barcelona Champions of Europe. We have MLS and MLS and more MLS. In fact, let's go to Robert in L.A., who probably wants hey, to talk. Hey, Jason. Hey, Robert, what happened, man? Hey, I want to talk to the Melly Galaxy. I know. I said, what happened? Oh, uh, well, first of all, a lot of injuries. Some people are away on national team duty, which is why I don't like it when we play through the international break. So we're missing, we're missing uh, Panea and Zarius, and we got a lot of injuries. But I, I was there, and I was so disappointed. Our uh, home streak finally over. It is. It is. And Ver- also... Vernon was terrible. We have not had... Yes. We we've also not have a consistent lineup, you know, back to back games, and it's going to continue with a team going away with Ireland and and Lars also away too, and then uh, Gerard's going to come in and then it's going to re- rearrange everything. So, yeah, it's 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 a difficult time for the Galaxy. I mean, they 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 don't have, they have so many pieces going in and out that you're right, consistency is going to be nearly impossible for Bruce Arena, and they're going to bring in. Gerard, just as Zardes, well, not just as Zardes, I guess Zardes will be coming back right around that time if he goes to the Gold Cup. Am I right about that? Or no, I guess I guess Gerard, well, will, he will join while, while Zardes is gone. Keen may be gone during some of that period. So you're going to have, you're, gonna, you're right, you're going to have all this these moving pieces. You're going to try to integrate Steven Gerard while you're still down two or three players. Yes, and well, Panea will, will be gone with uh, Panama, so I, I'm expecting that. So it's going to be Brian Rowe and Cole. And, of course, we also have these uh, summer friendlies. And also, if you know, with uh, Club America, Barcelona, and all that stuff of yesterday and or the day before. And I see posters of Barcelona with the, you know, the Champions League. And I'm watching, and I see these posters of Messi and Neymar and Xavi. And I realize they're not going to be there because they're going to be at the Copa America. Yeah. That's true. So, uh, so, so just, it's gonna be big time. So I'm, I'm not gonna go to that one. Yeah, keep, I just, it's keep, gonna be Barcelona's B team. Keep that in mind as you uh, as you look to buy your tickets for friendlies this summer. Who may not, or may not be in those lineups? Uh, Robert, you anything else? You got to move on. Yes. Uh, uh, I don't know if you got my tweet, but it looks like you're uh, gonna be commenting on uh, one of the world one no, of the World Cup games. No. 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 Oh, you're not. No. Oh, okay. No, that would be the that would be the other Davis, Mr. Glenn Davis, I believe is uh is part of that coverage. But thank you for pointing that out, Robert. Thanks a lot, man. There you go. There goes uh, Robert in LA. Good stuff from him as always. Uh, uh, Roberto in uh, Connecticut. What's up, Roberto? What's up, Jason? Um, I just want to talk about two things. Um, given the Champions League final performance that Neymar had and the entire season he's had, do you feel that he's considered the third best player in the world behind? Messi and mm, I don't think he's. Got, I don't think he's got that kind of respect. Generally speaking, I mean, we have to. We'd have to look around. I mean, he plays in such a great team, Roberto, and I know it's unfair to to ding him for that. I mean, Messi has made his name over 
con- like for consistency, for for being the on such a different level year after year after year that he can overcome the fact that he plays in a team that has Xavi and Iniesta and Busquets and 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 now Neymar and Suarez. Whereas I don't think Neymar's overcome that yet. It, you know, Messi, Ronaldo, and then after that, I mean. I don't know if there's an obvious number three. Maybe Neymar's in that discussion, but I, I do think most people would say probably not him. Probably, oh, God, who, who's who's at this? I mean, Zlatan's taking a step back. I'm not going to necessarily put him up there anymore. Um, I don't know. I don't know who number three is right now. Who's your number three? That's the thing. I think that's, that's going to be the, the huge debate coming up to the Ballon d'Or in January. Who is the third best player? Well, I mean, look, obviously Ribéry has been in the conversation uh, over the last couple of seasons, and was a finalist for the Ballon d'Or. Um, you, you know, you, you're not going to really, you're not going to put any of those um, those Barcelona midfielders in the conversation anymore, just based on on age and, and influence. So Xavi's obviously gone, uh, and Iniesta, Iniesta's not going to be um, nominated for any of those awards anymore. Um, trying to think of of who else you could potentially go with. Harry Kane says Trevor. Thank you, Trevor. No, I don't think Harry Kane's making that list. Oh man, um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I, I mean, you know, we we don't have a consensus on who who's number one, if only because of biases and people liking uh, Ronaldo's game a little bit more than than Messi's game. I don't know. If we're gonna ever gonna get to a consensus on number three, but Neymar might as well be in the conversation. I mean, Suarez next Suarez could be in that conversation, Roberto. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Suarez and Neymar. Yeah, I mean, and you're gonna put you're gonna put the the front line of Barcelona in the top five best players in the world, or do you uh, do you have to take into account that they play with each other makes them look better than than other t- other players might have not have that opportunity to look that good because their teammates aren't on that level. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I, I don't know. That. You got anything else, Roberto? Do you see Neymar winning a yeah. next season? Do I see him winning winning a what? Do you see Neymar winning the Ballon d'Or next season? Um, I mean, he could be a finalist, but uh, no, I'm going to say no, just going with the percentages. Um, I think that uh, you know he'll get recognition. That's how that works. But just just percentages wise, I mean, I don't know. Messi's not done yet. Uh, Messi's going to continue to be part of that, and as long as he's scoring 40 goals a year, he's probably going to win. Yeah, fair enough. All right, and then uh, Billy on Twitter says Eden Hazard has to be considered number three. That's he's mm. he's in the conversation debatable. as well. Debatable. Okay, debatable. debatable. There goes uh, Roberto. It's a great debate to have. Who's the number three player in the world? And, and and what's amazing is that the first two players haven't changed for so long. Ray in Milwaukee, what's up? Yeah, uh, I just want to say that the uh, Champions League game was highly entertaining and highly uh, um, uh, it was great. And so, I, uh, you know, for someone, I thought that maybe uh, who's watched Champions League finals or finals in general in soccer, where they're not as inter- they're not entertaining. Uh, I thought this was a very and highly entertaining game. I says I think that says a lot about Barcelona. I mean, I don't want to overdo the praise and the hype, Ray, but Juventus had to know, and they had to have. I mean, Allegri's not going to go out there and and be suicidal. He's not going to push. Uh, he's not going to push his team into attack and risk opening up the spaces for Barcelona until he has to. And I don't, they weren't necessarily, uh, they weren't necessarily bunkering, but they were definitely playing defensive soccer first and hoping that Morata and, 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 um, and Tevez could create something for them. And still Barcelona was entertaining and still Barcelona took the match to them and still Barcelona found ways around them. And, and you know, that's, that's Barcelona at their best. Right, I would agree, and I would just like to say one thing about Fox's coverage. Uh, it, it needs to get a lot better, in my personal opinion. Uh, there's no reason why I have to be going to ESPN to really get better in-depth coverage of this of uh, of Champions League. Uh, there should be a Monday pregame. I mean, there should be like a Monday uh, show, and then there should be a Wednesday show, at least a half hour long, dedicated to all the games. And having better people involved in knowing these teams that cover these teams uh, on a more consistent basis. The bigger club teams, I'm not talking about like, you know, the smaller clubs. We all watch European soccer. 
for the big teams. And um, this is why this tournament is so good. And I have yet to meet a European soccer fan, regardless of league, that actually likes the coverage. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. Um, Fox is not for everybody. And you're talking about the Champions League here and, and maybe bringing in some, some more expertise. I, I, I can't argue with you. I mean, the one thing that ESPN FC has done in their uh, attempts to fill a hole in, in sort of, sort of the, um, the extra programming and covering the, the, all of the soccer that's happening is that they do turn to Sid Lowe and, um, and Mark, uh, Gabriel Marcotti and, and certain, um, certain people who have insight, European certainly insight. And then obviously they have, you know, they have experts who know MLS and they have experts who know the premiership. And I, I can see what you're saying. Right, and, and, and at least it's a program as well. It's, at ESPN FC, you know you're going to get soccer talk. Uh, Fox, when do you know you're going to get soccer talk? Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's a good question. It's, it's, it's just around the games. I mean, we don't have another, they don't, they don't have another show. It's, it's only around the games. You have to be, you have to know when those things are happening in order to get the pregame, and then they'll occasionally, you know, drift, drift left and right depending on what the news of the day is. So they don't quite do it the same way, and I and I would love. Are you watching the women's World Cup at all, Ray? Uh, not yet. I've only watched like one game. Okay, so I, I've well, seen I, a lot of soccer. I, so. I'd be curious to know what people make of Fox's coverage so far with the women's World Cup. I watched uh, World Cup women's World Cup today, whatever the heck it is. I think on uh, I think that was yesterday ahead of the two matches that they had during the day. Um, and it was okay. It was it was relatively good. I mean, they they've collected a group of people who know women's soccer specifically. They have Eric Winalda there to throw in, you know, whatever he wants to throw in. Obviously, Alexi Lawless is doing games. Rob Stone knows how to steer the ship fairly well. Their set is very nice. Is it ESPN level? I'd say no, but it is their first big tournament in sort of you know in this modern age of paying attention to soccer and I think they're doing okay. So we continue to see how they'll do. Ray, you got anything else, man? Uh no, uh thanks man. Take it easy. I appreciate the call. There goes uh, Ray in uh, Milwaukee. Anything else on your mind? Uh we're going to have to carry that over to the Sirius XMFC show if you happen to be a uh subscriber there. Make sure you join us at 11 o'clock Eastern as we kick off covering all of these same topics, some in-depth stuff. We've got a couple of very good guests lined up um, on that show as well. I believe Matthew Doyle from MLSSoccer.com will join us. Dave Martinez from Empire of Soccer will do some New York chatter with him, some New York stuff. Uh, make sure you guys go and check out the brand new Soccer Morning website, dedicated Soccer Morning website, SoccerMorning.net. I still owe Trevor an about section about myself. Writing about yourself really sucks. One thing you'll find out when you go over to SoccerMorning.net is that we are looking for an intern. If you want to intern on Soccer Morning, if you want to be part of the programming, probably part of the production, uh, then you need to go over there, check it out, and contact Trevor, and then, uh, I don't know, we'll have uh, auditions or something. I don't know. How does that work? You just read the resumes and pick a guy or a girl? Whatever? Okay. I don't know how it works. I don't think I'm even going to get to talk to you, just so you know. I think that's all going to be on Trevor's plate. <laughs> Thank you very much to everybody that called. Thank you very much to Brian Sharetta and Kevin Laramie for their appearances on today's program. Uh, go buy a soccer morning mug at backheel.com slash store and buy a 3nilfc.com soccer morning t-shirt because they are pretty and they look cool. And I hope there's some of those up at the Women's World Cup. That would be great. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Bye.